In the name of the true and living God, amen. Please be seated. Some people are surprised to learn that in our Episcopal tradition, we have monastics. We have monasteries and convents, um, monks and nuns who take holy orders, um, who enter into holy orders. Uh, where I used to live in Santa Barbara in California, there was a monastery up in the hills by the name of Mount Calvary, and it was part of the Order of the Holy Cross. Now, it really was on the top of a mountain. If you went to Mount Calvary, you would have to go up these incredible steep winding roads, uh, sort of treacherous. I was reminiscing about it last night, talking with my wife, who edits my sermons, by the way. Um, and she said, don't forget how scary it was to drive on those roads where it would just drop off to the side. Um, and some of the places it went down to just one lane, so you had to be hoping no one would be coming around. And when you finally got to the top of the mountain and you arrived at the monastery, the air felt different. You were above the clouds. You could look out and see the town of Santa Barbara down below in all its busyness, and you could see out beyond the beautiful blue ocean out to the islands. The monastery was originally built in the 20s to be somebody's estate, and then uh, they ran out of money. The Great Depression ended up happening, and, uh, and the land went to the Episcopal Church, and they built it out around a courtyard and with places with lots of small rooms so you could go there and be on retreat. It was a retreat center as well. It was a place of hospitality, and even if you weren't on retreat, you could go and visit and just spend an afternoon. The monks were friendly and hospitable with their white robes and with the rough wooden crosses they would wear on their chest because it was the order of the Holy Cross. And I was fortunate uh, for many years to have a spiritual director who was one of those monks. His name was Father Tom. So Father Tom was not incredible to look at. He had an elongated face with just little wisps of notional hair at the top. He had a very tall frame, but with a big slouch. He wore thick glasses and he moved slowly and deliberately and with gentleness. And he had a warm voice and was quick to smile, quick to laugh. He was sort of an elderly, childlike person. And when we would have our conversations together, sometimes he would pause and just be still for a moment. And I would look at him wondering, is this it? What, what's going to happen next? And then he would always have just the right words. He just needed to take a minute to find the exact thing he wanted to say. He was patient. Every time we met, we would sit down together in his study and he would light a candle and put it on the table between us. Then he'd invite us to take a few deep breaths and he would lead us in a short prayer, invite both of us to put our feet squarely on the ground. And sure enough, in a moment, any worries or distractions or cares that I had been bringing with me that day would just melt away. And I would be blessed to suddenly realize the goodness of being in the present moment with another person. 
And often in the middle of our talks, all of a sudden I would become aware that the person I was looking at who was sharing his wisdom with me was no longer the old man that he appeared to be from the outside, but rather a radiant being. Today we hear about the transfiguration of Jesus, which happened on a very different mountaintop. Now we are still in the season of Epiphany, and today, this Sunday, is the last Sunday of the season. So this story of the transfiguration of Christ is like the grand finale of Epiphany, the season of discovery, of revelation. And it's when the disciples on the mountaintop with him were blessed to discover who he truly was and to see it with their own eyes. We have, for those of you who can see it now, there's a beautiful window right here that shows the transfiguration. Jesus is glowing in white, which for stained glass is pretty wonderful because when it's a sunny day like today, the window really glows. And you can see Moses and Elijah next to him. And you can also see that the disciples who Jesus had brought up to the mountaintop with him, it's too much glory for them to handle and they're down on the ground in fear. There's a beautiful moment in this story right after Jesus is revealed, he actually touches them and comforts them and tells them to not be afraid. It really is him. It's just now they've seen him for who he really is. So we might ask, when we have seen transfiguration, and I believe um, this thing that happened with the disciples and with Jesus, it may seem like a far-fetched miracle, hard to imagine, but like my experience with Father Tom, I bet all of us here have seen people transfigured before our eyes. And we might ask, is witnessing a transfiguration about seeing God in our midst, or is it really seeing for a moment with God's eyes? Or perhaps both. Being the last Sunday of Epiphany today means that Lent is right around the corner, and Lent will begin on Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday. And it's a, a time, actually, Lent is something I look forward to every year. I know many think of Lent as a time of suffering, of enduring, but it's also a time of intentionality, a time to assess how you live, assess your life, and think about how might you live with more intention. I recommend this every year, so some of you have heard me say this before, but I really do encourage you to think of a Lenten discipline this year. It's just 40 days. I always advise people don't try to be heroic unless that's your thing. Um, one of my favorite heroic Lenten things that a youth group member did several years ago was giving up high fructose corn syrup, which was a bear. They had to look at labels all the time for 40 days. Um, maybe don't do that, but take something on maybe a prayer practice, maybe journaling, whatever, or give something up. And it could be anything, but set yourself up to succeed. What you'll find is the practice just of doing it will be a daily opportunity to remember God. And by practicing doing something that is relatively easy, you're gonna grow so that one day you might be able to do something even harder. And what 
you can do is think of what you do as simply an offering. And this gets back to Father Tom. One thing that he taught me about prayer and about practice is he said, don't come into it expecting to get something out of it. When you pray, do you enter into prayer thinking that you're going to pray so that it'll make you feel better? Or do you pray hoping that you will get the thing that you might be asking for in prayer? Tom said, what we should do when we pray is just pray, period. Just make it our offering. He said, if you get something out of it, you got a freebie. And when I've tried to put that into practice myself, it shifted everything for me in my prayer life. And interestingly, I found that then I got a lot more out of my prayer life. When you let go of expectations, then you get surprised by the blessing. And the same can be said for whatever Lenten practice you may do. Don't do it in order to feel better. Just do it as an offering and then see what happens. We'll begin Lent on Ash Wednesday here in this space with uh, many services we have on the day, um, early in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. Um, and it's one of the most powerful worship experiences, I believe, of the church year. So we get to take stock of our lives and remember our mortality. We begin the day with a physical reminder of ashes on our heads. And sadly, Mount Calvary itself, that wonderful monastery on the mountaintop, was reduced to ashes. Um, I, I heard from the nine o'clock people that they were worried when I said that. Father Tom was okay. <laughs> In fact, all the monks were okay. Um, but there was one evening when a fire broke out in the hills above Santa Barbara and the winds were blowing in just the wrong direction and the fire was moving toward the monastery. It burned down more than 200 homes in the process and Mount Calvary was the last structure to go. Um, what happened that night, in fact, the monks could see through one of the windows in the dining hall that they, they saw the flames and they knew the direction the flames were coming and they told their guests out of a, an abundance of caution you all better pack up your things and go for your safety. And so they all did. They went to their rooms, packed up, and they left. And then being monks, what do you think the monks did next? They did the dishes. <laughs> and as they were doing the dishes in the kitchen, one of them looked out of the window again and said, you know, we better go too. <laughs> and these elderly men rushed as fast as they could. All they had time to get was their robes and their crosses. And they went to the cars and made it down that treacherous journey of a road, down, fortunately, to safety. No lives were lost at Mount Calvary, although the buildings were completely destroyed. Uh, really, there was about one wall left standing and the cross in the middle of the courtyard, untouched. And fortunately, too, for the monks, they were able to build a new monastery some years later, but they weren't allowed to rebuild on top of the mountain, sadly. They had to leave the mountain. I went up there uh, a little bit after, a few weeks after the fire. Uh, I was curious to see it and to walk around the grounds one last time. And as I walked around, literally ash covering everywhere, I found a book in the ashes. One of the books from the library that used to be a great library, one of the books survived as a small volume, it's green, 
I still have it. It's on my bookshelf in my office. And it was written and printed in 1915, more than 100 years ago, by a, a man, a famous preacher of the early 20th century, Harry Emerson Fosdick. And even though it was written so long ago, it could have been written for today. And the book is titled, The Meaning of Prayer. In the book, Fosdick emphasizes that prayer is not a means to an end where we ask for things and get those requests answered, but rather, true prayer is entering into adventure. To pray, he says, is to leave the realm of where we are just thinking about God, and instead, it is to enter into life with God. He says, belief by itself is a map of the unvisited land of God's care. Prayer is actually traveling the country. These are good words, especially as we are about to enter this land before us, this journey of Lent, which begins in ashes. When Peter sees the transfiguration on the mountain, he suggests to Jesus that he build dwelling places for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, but that is not to be. Peter thinks that he can hold on to this moment, he can hold on to these things. He thinks that he can hold on to radiance. But the truth is that we cannot hold on to radiance. We cannot hold on to a moment of revelation. We can only behold it. We can only experience it. We cannot dwell on the mountaintop because we have to come down at some point. But we come down changed forever. Amen.